Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples so they could heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. When the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's from uh, Matthew chapter 17. And we think about spiritual warfare, we think about that. And many of us go, well, I've never seen a demon-possessed kid, and I've never seen anybody do anything like what Jesus did there, so how does any of this relate to me? Well, today I want to talk with you about, inside your uh, bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled, The Battle for Our Minds. It has everything to do with faith the size of a grain of mustard seed and what we focus on. And this is a real way that you and I will intersect a spiritual battle today, tomorrow, virtually every day this next week, because the devil's going to try to get us focused on the wrong things and put our faith in our feelings instead of the truth of God's word. I want to talk to you about that today. Let me have a word of prayer. We'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us practice our faith. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we're engaged in a spiritual battle for our minds. Our whole culture is. Our world is. And the devil would have us deny you and not believe in you and to trust in our circumstances and our feelings about those circumstances instead of trusting your word. So I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what we need to know about the battle for our minds and how to engage these battles successfully. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. Um, the point A on your outline is simply this. We're involved in a spiritual battle for the control of our minds. We're involved in a spiritual battle for the control of our minds. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Paul speaking in Ephesians 6.10. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. One of the things that's very important for us to understand is that we're engaged in a spiritual battle. That's why we're doing this whole series, and we've been reading... Uh, short parts from Ephesians 6 every time. We'll continue to next week and unpack this. There's a battle going on for my mind. You won't see it. You won't hear the armor clanking or you won't hear swords uh, uh, or spears being thrown. What you'll hear, though, in your mind, we we experience temptations uh, that we need to give in and compromise and just listen to the way everybody else, live the way everybody else does. Give up on trying to follow God's word, it's too hard. It doesn't apply to us anyway. It's all out of date. You'll see as we go through. In Romans 8, Paul talked about this some more, about why it's so important, how constant this battle for our minds is. This is Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those controlled by the sinful nature can't, and those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 
You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you and I uh, surrender our hearts to Christ, or when we surrender our hearts to Christ, uh, Jesus told the disciples when he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When everything's ready, I'll come back and get you. But I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. And this is what the Bible promises us, that God's Holy Spirit indwells us, changes us from the inside out. And this is what Paul's talking about here. And we have a choice in our lives, whether I'm going to surrender to the direction the Holy Spirit is leading me, or whether I'm going to go back to living the way I used to live, unsatisfying my old sinful desires. And again, you'll see this in all the scriptures we bring up. This is a battle for our thoughts all day long. You're going to live according to the new life. Now that you're adopted into God's family, are you going to follow Christ and obey him in every area of your life? Are you going to go back to the way that's easy and comfortable, the way our culture does things, even though you know it's wrong? This is a constant battle for our minds. So this brings us to point B. You and I must fight the battle for our minds God's way. If we're going to be in a spiritual battle, we can't fight it just with self-determination. We need God's help. And we can't just kind of come up with our own little schemes on this. We need to be obedient to what God's Word says. When Paul was fighting a spiritual battle with some false teachers in Corinth, here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 10. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle imaginations and every high thing in the King James here that keep people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I mean, look at how many things in there have to do with battling for our minds and control of our thoughts. We knock down strongholds of human reasoning, false arguments, proud obstacles, imaginations. These are the things the devil uses to get us all confused so that we uh, focus on the wrong thing. And to turn us against what God is trying to do in our lives. If he can't keep us from coming to Christ, he certainly wants to keep us from being obedient to Christ and living out our faith. And so he's going to tell us, compromise, compromise, take the easy way, take the easy way. Oh, none of the Bible's true anyway. And I'm just telling you, you'll see this everywhere in our culture when you start looking for this. And you'll see it in your own life, how easy it is to give up on things just because they're hard and just because... At times we don't feel like it. And that brings us to, I'm going to talk about five ways to fight this battle according to Scripture. And the first one, if we're going to win the battle for our minds, we need to focus on fact, not feeling. Fact, not feeling. And when I talk about fact, I'm talking about God and God's Word, the truth. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. This is terribly important because what the devil would love to do is, and I've got a little illustration there at the bottom of your page. Uh, It looks like a little locomotive here. The devil would love to have us put our faith in our feelings. And the truth is, we have facts. We have God's word. This is God's word. And this is truth. And we can trust on it. It doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah. And so what the devil would love is to say, instead of, hey, instead of placing your faith in the facts, like, okay, so if somebody comes to Christ, let me give you an example. 
uh, the devil would love to get you to believe that all the whole story of Jesus is just made up. Okay? I mean, the whole reason we even celebrate Easter at all is the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, they kind of wished he would have been resurrected, so they made up this story. But that's not the story in the Bible. The story isn't in the Bible of Jesus being crucified and the disciples went somewhere and got in a meeting and went, I wish he'd be raised, I wish he'd be raised, I wish he'd be raised, I wish he'd be raised. That's not what happened. In fact, after Jesus was crucified, the disciples all ran in terror. They thought they were going to get crucified next. And they went and hid. And when Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, some women went to the tomb. And when they reported back to the disciples that Jesus had been raised, the disciples didn't even believe it. They weren't wishing he was raised. They didn't believe he had been raised. It had nothing to do with their feelings. Their feelings were completely wrong. The reason that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is because it's a fact. It was a real cross that a real person, a real man, Jesus, he was fully God and fully human at the same time. He really died on a real cross. His body was placed in a real tomb. That's a fact. The tomb is historical fact. And he really rose on Easter Sunday. It's a real fact. The resurrection is a fact. The cross is a fact. Jesus being a real person is a fact. He ascended into heaven. That's a fact. And he's coming back real soon. And that will be a fact that we will all soon see. Now, I tell you all this because people would have you believe it's not true, that the only reason we believe it is because we feel like it's true. No, it's historical fact. That's why we trust the Bible. This really happened. But if you, if you destroy the Bible and you take away God's word, well, now it's just my feelings versus your feelings, which is where people want it to be, which is where the devil wants it to be. Because then he can get us lost in endless discussions about whose feelings are better than whose. And then we go, well, I don't want to push my feelings on yours. Okay, so then the new tolerance is, is not to say, hey, I'll be patient with you as you understand this. The new tolerance is now just believe whatever because nobody knows the truth and it can't be known. And that's why Paul says none of this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. There were ideas counter to the Christian faith back in those days too. Paul was beaten and stoned and chased out of town all over the place because people didn't like what he was saying. Jesus said this. He prayed this the night before he was crucified for his disciples. Father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Philippians 4, Paul again, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I mean, you understand, if we put our emphasis, we put our faith in our feelings, our feelings can be false or true. And they always change. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was in junior high when the movie Jaws came out. Does anybody remember this movie about this man-eating shark and all these things? Well, I saw the movie growing up in, on a farm in Kansas, okay? There were no sharks anywhere near me, okay? I just want to put that on the record. But I remember it was like a week or 10 days after seeing that movie, I went out water skiing with some friends in a lake in Kansas, and as I'm out there waiting for them to pull me out of the water, all I could hear was dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I'm ready to get in the boat. And the most dangerous thing in that lake was a catfish. I mean, there was nothing in there. But you know what I'm talking about. You can go see a scary movie, and you're sleeping with the light on, and you're 35. 
our feelings can change just because the weather changed. I'm all big and bold and I'm standing for Jesus and then I'm completely destroyed because I sent someone a text an hour ago and they didn't reply back. Oh, they hate me. And this is how fast our feelings can change. Our feelings go up and down all the time. And the Bible warns us, hey, don't base your faith, don't place your faith in your feelings. They could be false or true. Might be right, might be wrong, but they're guaranteed to change. That's why we, pay, we place our faith in God's word. You see, I mean, if you have a train, this is the engine. The reason we have the hope of eternal life, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. That's a fact. Not how I feel about it. Prayer is answered because God answers prayer. We have his word on it. That's a fact. He has answered prayers many times. That's not my feelings. The train, this is the engine that makes things go. The train will run just fine without the caboose. It will. But you take the engine away, you get rid of the facts, you try driving a train with a caboose. It's going nowhere. And this is where the devil wants us to be. I mean, trust your feelings, Luke, or whatever it is, okay? That's Star Wars. That's not Christianity. Do not trust your feelings. Do not. Do not. Your feelings are not reliable. Neither are mine. So we have to think about things that are right and true. Flip your outline over. You'll see in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul, the guy who's written all these uh, passages we've been reading, um, he's writing this too. This is how he dealt with it. 2 Corinthians 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from the mortal danger, from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Paul said, we were in mortal danger. Our feelings were we thought we were going to die. But then we realized, hey, we don't need to place our faith in ourselves or in our circumstances. We need to place our faith in Jesus, the one who can rescue us. And he did rescue us. This is truth. God's word is truth. And so if you and I are going to be effective in fighting the battle for our mind, we have to put our, we have to put our emphasis and our faith in fact, not feeling. You'll see how this goes on even more. Secondly, we must help each other grow and mature. Grow and mature. Because, see, the battle for our minds isn't one skirmish. It's not just one temptation. It's not a one and done. The devil's going to come back again and again. He's relentless. And so we help each other mature and grow strong so we can resist these things. They're coming a lot. And they get very, very precise and very intricate. And the deceptions are very complete. And if you're not wise, you can be led astray. Listen to what Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 4. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So he's basically giving you a job description for what myself and our staff do here at this church. Their responsibility, my responsibility here at Centerpoint, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. That's the job of all of our site pastors, of our staff, everyone. The body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. 
Now listen to this. Here's where it engages our minds. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. We have to grow and mature because this temptation is going to come again. So I'm living the Christian life, going about my business, but now all of a sudden it's Tuesday and I've got a head cold or one of my kids is sick and uh, money's tight and the car won't start. And all of a sudden now I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. In fact, why am I even praying? Is anybody even listening? If God loves me, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? It's my feelings. Never mind that God's word says, hey, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. These are for the perfecting of your faith. If you, should, if you go through this, you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh. But the devil would say, no, no, no. It just The only interpretation, the only possible interpretation is there is no God. doesn't matter if you pray. This shouldn't be happening to you. It's terribly unfair. And so you're not really a child of God. And now my feelings are completely out of whack. This is why when we have hard days, this is why when we have confusing situations, it's all the more important to go back to God's word. Whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is pure, think on these things. Mm, It is so important. This is why we want to be in small groups where we can help each other mature because we know these things are coming. I remember my kids were in playing baseball and uh, football and little league teams and then all of a sudden, you know, they'd be up by 10 runs or something like this in baseball, and the coach would pull them out to let some other kids play, and the kids would come home, and they'd go, yeah, I don't know why the coach pulled me out. I was doing really well. It's like, well, you were doing really well. I mean, yeah, but he pulled you out so other kids could play. Oh, okay, so he doesn't hate me. No, he doesn't hate you. Let's go get an ice cream cone. Okay, all's right with the world. All right, you understand how that works. And so with kids, you go, hey, don't, don't misinterpret this. Well, that's the same way when you have older Christians helping the younger Christians. Hey, don't misinterpret this. Don't get this wrong. And it doesn't mean that God's given up on you. And it doesn't mean that God hates you because you had adversity, you adversity in your life. Some of these things are trials to test you. Some of these are things that are preparing you for a greater trial to come. How do I know? We have God's word on it. It's truth, and it doesn't change. But if you trust your feelings, might be right or wrong, they always change. In fact, if you eat a good sandwich, your whole attitude might change. You mean I'm making my faith dependent on my digestion? Yup. So we need to grow and mature. Thirdly, we need to make sure that we do not copy our culture. That we do not. And this is the great temptation too. Hey, you want to take your cues? Take your cues from everybody else that you work with, the people who live next to you. Uh, Let's copy the ways of the world. Romans 12, 2, do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, say it with me, think. This is a battle for your mind again. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Ephesians 4, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness, and they wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, 
Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Here we go again. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I mean, we have to understand, our culture is going the wrong way. Our culture bases things on feelings all the time. I mean, this is at the heart of the whole transgender debate right now. If someone is born a male, but they feel like they're a female, and they put on clothing that makes them look like a female, now they're female. And we'll even go change their birth certificate so that we get in line with their feelings. And we'll pass laws to make sure that we don't upset people's feelings. If you're born a female and you dress like a man, then you must be a man. We'll change the facts to be in line with your feelings. And this will lead us to complete chaos. And it is. In first place, we have God's word on this. He created us male and female. God is the one who designed us in the womb, who knit us together in the womb. Every day of our lives was numbered before one of them had come to pass. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. No, we're not. We're terribly and wrongly made because that's not the way I feel. And so if I dress a certain way on the outside, that changes me on the inside. I mean, that's outrageous. But this is happening in our culture all around us. There's no science for this. There's no facts for this. These are only feelings. And they will lead us to chaos. And that's where the devil wants to keep us. So it's just feelings versus feelings. But you don't even have to go that far. I can have wrong feelings when I want to copy the ways of the culture the culture would tell you as a Christian, hey, you don't need to read the Bible. I mean, I mean, you go to church three or four times a year. I mean, that's enough, right? I mean, you don't get carried away. Good night. I mean, you're not Billy Graham. Why do you have to read the Bible? And this business of sharing your faith, sharing your faith, you go and talk to people about Jesus, you're going to make them feel uncomfortable. That might cost you a, a public opinion. People might disagree with you. Keep that to yourself. Talk about things that are politically correct. Don't ever rock the boat. That way you can feel comfortable. Put your faith in your feelings. I mean, they might come or go, but and they'll always change, but you know, that's the best you can do. Mm-mm. We put our faith in God's word. Now, that brings us to the fourth point here. That we must pray. What do we pray for? (laughs) We pray for all the things we've listed so far. We pray that we will put our confidence in God's word. We pray that God will help us grow and mature and that we can find people ahead of us that we can learn from. We pray for the ability to stand up against the devil and not copy the ways of our culture. And this is why we pray. And you go, well, does that help our minds? Yeah, listen to this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. There it is as you live in Christ Jesus. And we pray for the people who are struggling with sin. I don't want you to think that I'm unfeeling or uncaring for people who struggle with issues. But my goodness, you talk to people who deal with addiction They will tell you any time, if you trust your feelings in trying to overcome an addiction, your feelings are going to betray you every time. You deserve another drink. Go ahead. Nobody's looking. 
And this is the devil's playground. And that's why we dare not give in to it. That's why we have God's word to guide us. And we have to have truth and we have to pray for each other and pray for the people who are caught up in sin. I mean, they don't even see what's going on, even if it's destroying them. And so please don't hear there's no compassion in this. The most compassionate thing is to tell people you love the truth. And that there's hope in the name of Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we really can change. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. But this is so important and it is so politically incorrect. It is so politically incorrect. We'd love to pretend we can change things from the outside and we can't. That's why we need God's help. That's the other reason we pray. I'm not strong enough to do this on my own, and neither are you. I mean, we consider faith a virtue because faith precisely says, I'm going to cling to the facts when my feelings won't back me up. That's why I pray for character, and I pray for strength and endurance. Because, I mean, even when, (laughs) when a person cheats on their spouse after being married for 25 years, we say they were faithless or they were unfaithful. They gave up. They cheated. And that's right. And so we pray that we won't give in to feelings. And every time that happens, people gave in to a feeling instead of the fact that they'd made a commitment for the rest of their lives. I mean, you can see how this works in every area of life. There's no Olympic athlete who denies himself for 14 years to compete for one week for a gold medal once in his life. And you ask him, did you feel like getting up? At 4 a.m. for 14 years and going through all those workouts? No, most days I didn't. But the facts are, if I wouldn't have done that, I never would have been able to compete at the highest level. Never. And we go, well, that's right. So it doesn't depend on your feelings. No, it doesn't. There are certain facts about nutrition, about exercise, about repetition, to learn the skill. All these things, you can't change them. That's the way it works. And it doesn't matter whether you feel like you should be able to compete for this or not. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. In fact, when I do the facts right, if I put my faith in the facts, my feelings come along. I don't feel like forgiving people. Most of the time. Probably you don't either. But here's a funny thing. When I trust the Lord on this, and and I ask him to give me love for people I don't love so I can turn the other cheek, so I can forgive them, I'm amazed how my feelings will change once I'm obedient. And that's where, over here, we have to understand that this is an act of the will. And this means I have to surrender. Faith always involves a choice. Always. Not just quoting Bible verses. This isn't an intellectual knowledge. This is an act of the will saying, I will surrender to the truth, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to trust my feelings will come along. Then when I do the right things... My feelings will catch up. The truth is the engine. My feelings are just the caboose. Now finally, we must prepare. That's the fifth way we can battle successfully for our minds. We must prepare. I told you before, we have to mature in this because the devil is relentless. I told you we need to pray because he's relentless. We don't copy our culture our culture doesn't know what to do. Our culture is led around like by the devil. We're just following what our culture just follows whatever he wants us to do. 
And so to prepare means that I get my mind ready. If I know there's a test coming, well, then I need to make sure that I've spent time reading God's word so I know the truth that doesn't change. So I can be ready for the lies that will change, that are appealing to my feelings and not to truth. Therefore, prepare your minds. Peter, 1 Peter 1.13. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. I mean, I have to be prepared on the middle of an afternoon when no one's around and I'm on my computer if i got a few extra hours or a few extra minutes that I've, if I'm just going to wander wherever I can on the Internet, I know that there are going to be ads that are going to try to pull me toward things I don't need to be looking at. There's plenty of places on the Internet where I can look at things that are pornographic and filthy. That's just true. And so I know that's coming. And if I'm going to be ready for this, if I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to prepare, well, then I can get some software on my computer that will filter out things. I can get an accountability partner who will ask me, what are you looking at? I can have my computer at a place that's public. I can give my wife the password. I can do all kinds of things that will protect me because I know the temptations are coming. It doesn't matter. It's gentleman's entertainment. Everybody looks at it. It's just natural. People want this. This is free. That's what you feel like looking at. But if I've meditated on God's word, Jesus said, if I look at a woman lustfully with my eyes, I've already committed adultery against my wife with that woman in my mind. And if I know the truth, the truth will set me free. But what am I putting my faith in? What I feel like or the truth of God's word? Every day, every one of us, relentless, we better prepare. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. This is why Paul is writing Timothy this. Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared. There it is, preparation again. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. This is going on in our culture now. You have whole churches telling people when it comes to all sorts of uh, sexually immoral things, go ahead, go ahead and live together. It's no big deal. Go ahead and uh, the transgender thing, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It's fine. Go ahead. Jesus never talked about it. It's good. Go ahead. And even if it does say about it, it's all changed now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The time's coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, follow their own desires, look for teachers, tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth. They'll chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Don't be ashamed, Timothy, just because you're young. I hope this illustration helps you understand. God's word is the engine. This is the truth that will save us. Our feelings will come and go. They won't save us. In fact, as I said, when we hook our faith up to God's word, our feelings come along. And amazingly, amazingly, when we obey and we surrender our will to God's truth, then all of a sudden it starts feeling right. The opposite is also true. We keep going after our feelings. Paul says, warning, you can get your conscience seared as if it's with a hot iron, and now you don't feel anything anymore. You don't even feel guilty anymore. 
telling a lie. You don't even feel guilty anymore cheating on your income tax. Done it so many times. May we never get there. What I'd like to do today is, it's Father's Day. For those of you watching on the internet, we're recording this on Father's Day. Um, just a second, I'm going to ask uh, the men to stand, but all the fathers in the room to stand. But I want to pray for dads. All, everything we talked about today certainly applies to everyone in the room. But I want to have a special prayer just for the fathers in the room. Because if Satan can get the father who has been assigned to be the spiritual head of the home, if he can get the father out of whack, it's easy to lead. Once you get the spiritual leader out of the way, it's easy to lead the rest of the family. And we've got to pray. And I want to understand, too, at the beginning we talked about how Jesus had uh, cast the demon out of this little boy and the disciples couldn't do it. And he said, you don't, if you just had faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, if you would just believe and trust, and that should be good news for us. If you go, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know that I understand enough. Well, that's why we pray because all it takes is faith the size of a grain of mustard, uh, size of a mustard seed, just a small little grain. And we're going to pray for each other. So I'm going to ask all the dads in the room to stand. We're going to pray for dads. If you'd stand. We're going to pray for fathers in the room. And we're going to pray all these things. Again, it applies to all of us, male and female, equally alike. We're going to pray for the fathers in the room because our role is terribly important in making sure we focus on the facts and not our feelings. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want to pray for every father in the room. I pray for everyone here. Lord, your word applies to all of us equally. Because it's Father's Day, I want to have a special emphasis on the fathers. I pray, Father, that we would focus on the truth of your word, on fact, not feeling. That you give us a hunger, an insatiable hunger to read your word and know what it says. So we'd know the truth. We get set free from lies and schemes of the devil designed to entangle us, confuse us, and get us bound in all sorts of heartache and misery. Please, Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word and you'd give us friends to help explain it to us. Lord, I pray that you help us grow and mature, that we would have a friend we could talk to. We could be a part of a small group where we could share ideas and say, I, I need to know more what this says. What do you think? And we could encourage each other. Father, I pray that we would not copy the ways of our culture. Our culture says if we drink a lot, have lots of women in our lives, and can fight our way out of any brawl, then we're a man. And Father, your word says just the opposite, that we're to turn the other cheek, and we're to be gentle and kind and prayerful and godly and not given in to satisfying our appetites, to be faithful to our wives. Oh God, I pray that we would not copy the ways of our culture. I pray, Lord, that you'd remind us to pray often. doesn't matter how strong we are. None of us are strong enough to take on the devil by ourselves. None of us are strong enough to stand against his temptations. Not a one. And we need you. I pray you'd remind us to pray, to pray for wisdom, for protection, for direction, for strength and courage. And finally, Father, I pray that we'd be prepared. We've been forearmed, forewarned. Now we're forearmed with the truth. I pray, Lord, that we would make notes of the things that are the easiest places for us to fall into sin and stay away from those places. The triggers that set us off, that dump us into addiction, that dump us into futility and despair. I pray that you'd remind us to 
get around your people. It would help us focus on the truth and not around those who would drag us down. Oh Lord, I pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We want to be the spiritual heads of our homes, and we can't do that without your help. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen.